check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Welcome back to our Changemaker series, and this week we have a conversation with Kristen Wynn, Mississippi's State Literacy Director, and this was such an interesting conversation for me. She taught me so many things about how it works to make change at such a big level. I know you're going to appreciate hearing about Mississippi's law as well as how they implemented it across the state and how Mississippi made huge strides when it comes to helping every child learn to read. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Anna. I'm glad to be here. Kristen is a former first and second grade teacher. She also was a K-5 interventionist, literacy coach, and coordinator, and is now the state literacy director for Mississippi. So I invited her on the podcast to talk to us about how we can make changes at a local and then state level. So Kristen, could you talk to us a little bit about your history as a teacher and what brought you to the position you're in today? Absolutely. So um, I started off my teaching career around 2005 as a first grade teacher. I really enjoyed that. Um, I taught first grade for a couple of years, moved to second grade, and then I transferred to dis- uh, another district that was closer to home. And so um, when I did that, I still taught first and second grade. And um, then I, I quickly moved into an interventionist position. And with that position, I was responsible for working primarily with kindergarten through fifth grade students that struggled how to read. And so I work with them on a lot of different programs. Um, this particular district that I worked in, we had lots of resources. So I had um, different things that I could choose from based on their reading deficits. Um, so then I transitioned to a literacy coach for the state in 2013 under our Literacy Based Promotion Act. And I worked in a school and uh, we moved that school from an F in our accountability system is an, you know, A, B, C, D, F system. And so we moved that school from a failing school to a B. Um, I moved to regional coordinator, assistant state coordinator, And then in 2019, I took on the role as state literacy director in Mississippi. So I feel like all of those experiences as a first grade teacher, really understanding early literacy and as an interventionist and then as a literacy coach uh, has really prepared me for the role that I'm in currently. That is quite a background. It's so interesting. Before I pressed record, you told me that you were a balanced literacy teacher at one time. Can you talk to me, uh, talk to us about where the transition came, how it started, and how you became aware of the science of reading? Absolutely. So I confessed that, yes, <laughs> I was <laughs> at one time a balanced literacy teacher because at that time when I started teaching in our state and up until we 2013, when a lot of things really changed in our state, uh, we balanced literacy really saturated our state. We, mm-hmm. I was trained in the QN system. We had Lucy Calkins writing. We did a lot of that. We had the level text. But as a teacher, as an interventionist, I knew something was missing. Like I couldn't, mm-hmm. it's always like this one thing you can't, can't put your hand on it, but you, mm-hmm. you knew something was missing. So I started to just research and I, and there was one of my colleagues uh, was using another uh, phonics program in her classroom. And so I mm-hmm. said, you know what, I'm going to use that with all of my students. 
And so I did that and saw tremendous gains in my classroom. Then transitioning to an interventionist, I was trained in dyslexic therapy. So because I had uh, students with dyslexia that I was responsible for servicing. And so I was trained in that. And that method is really explicit. And so I was, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking if this is good for our students that really struggle, why can't we use this for all of our students? And so that was my first encounter with not necessarily formally knowing there was a name of the research that the research was aligned to the science of reading or that. But but that was my first encounter with understanding structured literacy, which is the application of the science. Sure. So when I transitioned to the State Department in 2013 as a literacy coach, I'll tell you how bad balanced literacy was in our state. Um, there were our governor at the time in 2013 wanted 75 literacy coaches because we were 49th in the country when we were looking mm -hmm. at fourth grade reading. And so he wanted 75 coaches. The department went through five to 600 application. And in the fall, there were only 24 of us that walked in that door that were able to, that, that knew um, or had some background knowledge of structured literacy in the science of reading. And so that kind of gives you an idea of what was happening then mm -hmm. and, you know, where we were. So when we transitioned, we procured um, letters. And that okay. is a professional development training grounded in the science and the research um, uh, on how students learn to read. So we procured that. And then the first cohort of us that went through letters were, were the coaches. So the 24 okay. of us, we went through the program first and it was very intense. That was my first real, real encounter in, in getting a deep knowledge, I would say, of the research um, as we know the science of reading. Okay, so you started at a really sad place at 49th. What was it that really changed things for you? So one thing that I think that really changed uh, the landscape of literacy in Mississippi was our Literacy-Based Promotion Act, which was is our state um, early literacy policy. So that act came into play in 2013, and it is very explicit uh, and provides lots of details of specific things that have to be done. But the goal of that law is to ensure that all of our students, kindergarten through third grade, are on the trajectory and on track to being um, reading at or above grade level by third grade. And okay. so it required us as a state by law to do several different things. One thing is it requires us to screen our students in kindergarten to see uh, where they are at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year to determine readiness and growth. Mm -hmm. um, it also required that all school districts screen their kindergarten through third grade students. So we have this kindergarten readiness assessment that we give to show readiness and growth to kindergartners, but they also her K-3 students have to be screened three times a year to determine if there are any reading problems. And then once teachers give those screeners, then they are required to give a diagnostic to really drill down and determine where that area uh, of deficiency for students are. And so 
that law right there, um, in addition to our kindergarten readiness assessment that's embedded within the law, our screeners that are embedded within the law, we have literacy coaches and our literacy coaches uh, per law were to provide literacy coaching support to our lowest performing schools based on okay. a formula that's in the law. Um, also, our law includes our third grade reading assessment, which is an assessment that determines promotion of retention for our third grade students. Um, now, there are good cause exemptions and retesting opportunities. So I really feel like the big change that happened <clears throat> in moving us from a very saturated, balanced literacy state and moving us into um, a, a science of reading state was that historic law um, that was placed and the the strategies that we implemented to make sure uh, we put that law into practice. Uh, and then the professional development was a part of that as well, because you have to create that common language around the science of reading um, to, to, to transition people from what we used to do with balanced literacy. That's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they're trying to make these changes, the first question they want to know is, what's your curriculum? Like that's, yeah. that's the, the one thing they think they need to know. And it's hard to get past that as in thinking that that's the thing that's going to make all the difference, but that's very important. But what you're saying is we need to start with education for the teachers and the leaders and a system where we can find out through a screening process, who's at risk for reading failure. And then we can drill down what exactly the issue is because screeners are supposed to be really fast. But when you see an issue, then you do a diagnostic, maybe in phonics or something like that. So that the tier two and tier three intervention can be given to kids who need it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. One thing that we did not do is start with identifying our curriculum. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's so important to build teacher and leader knowledge first is because if you build the teacher knowledge first, the teachers and the leaders build the programs. Mm -hmm. um, and they're able to implement the programs, not just with fidelity, but with integrity, really looking at the needs of the students um, versus just putting a program in front of somebody. If you put a program in front of me, but you give, you don't give me the why, why mm -hmm. is this important? Then I'm not going to really use it, use it as it is intended to be used. But if you give me the why first and then you put the how and the what in front of me, I'm able to really use it to make sure that I provide the students the support and the instructional supports um, to meet their need. So we started with creating this common language because if we just pushed another program in front of our teachers, lots of questions would have come up. Like, how is this any better from what we were already doing? Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to, you know, giving teachers the why first, you know, I think building their knowledge is so important. So when you have a new teacher in Mississippi, like a brand new teacher, is there something in place where they get this particular instruction or are they expected to, are they not hired unless they show an understanding of the science of reading? You know, how, do, how does all that work where you get new teachers on board? So like many other states, we are a local control state, but... Um, because of this law and because of the strategies and components of it and what teachers are required to do, especially um, our early uh, K 
for teachers. Um, we offer the, tr the professional development, the statewide literacy professional development that's grounded in the science at the state level for free. Um, we give that, we have that every year. We have cohorts of teachers and leaders that go through that training. And yes, it's very intense. It's like a um, college level master's course. Okay. Um, and it's a year long course. But we offer that to them. They can sign up in the summer and start their course in the fall and they're typically finished the next spring. Um, but they're able to apply some of those things as they're going through the course and learning within their classrooms. Um, but, yeah, we offer those not only to our new teachers, but veteran teachers, mm -hmm. um, pre-service teachers, which are teachers oh, yeah. that are in school. Because mm -hmm. along with our Literacy Based Promotion Act, along with our law. It's in Mississippi, it's required, pre-service teachers are required to take a foundations of reading assessment, which means you have to show based on an exam if you are ready to go in a Mississippi classroom and teach students how to read. So that's a requirement. So because of that, we've had to make some changes in the preparation area. And so we do offer the training to some of our pre-service teachers as well as our professors um, so that they're able to try to catch them. We want to catch them on the front end, be preventative. Um, and so, um, yeah, we offer that training across the state. So when this started, you said 2013 is kind of the year where this all kind the of year started. Is, that's that change year for us. How did that go over? Just when I think of myself as a teacher, I think back to when I was diehard balance literacy. Like if I, if this would have come down to me, I don't think I would have taken it very well. Like, how did you get everybody on board? Is that still an issue? So it's really not an issue now. The, the okay. issue now is, can we host, I mean, it's a good problem to have. The issue now is, uh, can we host trainings in our districts? And I have 200 teachers that need to be trained right now. So yeah. those are good trainings uh, that, I mean, those are good problems to have at the moment. But when we started, we really faced some resistance at first um, because, you know, change when, when you're when you are trying to change something, it, it changes hard. Um, and a lot of times people don't want to change um, because change requires me to learn something different and get out of my comfort zone. Um, and so. Yes, at first we did. But what we did was we we started it was required for those districts that um, were assigned literacy coaches. And I, I think I mentioned this earlier that a part of our law were, was our literacy coaches. We placed literacy coaches in the in our lowest performing school districts. So when we did that, those as a non-negotiable, um, as you might would say, we required those school districts to attend the training. Okay. And so that was a requirement. You had to attend. And some of the school districts that were not on our list, um, that were our higher performing districts. I mean, we had districts writing letters to say, we opt out. Uh, we don't want to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And things of that nature, which was fine. We went, we started where we knew we needed to start. And so we called districts. We um, got them to partner with other districts to roll this out. And so we rolled it out in our literacy with our literacy coaches first and our literacy perform, uh, our literacy support schools. I'm sorry. And then our kindergarten readiness assessment was 
was in place. And so mm-hmm. once that got in place and once we got the training rolling and we saw growth in just kindergarten mm-hmm. um, in some of our lowest performance schools that outperform our higher performance schools and districts, then it was, oh, let me see what this training is that you all are doing. Let me see what's happening because, you know, this district who hadn't been necessarily performing very well was outperforming this um, district that was considered in our state a higher performing district um, Mm -hmm. just in their kindergarten with their kindergarten teachers being trained um, in in the research. Um, And so we started to get traction. We started to get buy in. With our training, we coupled that with coaches. So our coaches really got into schools and helped teachers navigate the content for the professional development. They did additional PLCs on how. And so we started to see things shift and change, even with screener data, um, kindergarten assessment data. And so once that started happening, And fast forward to 2019, when we saw uh, we were number one in growth for fourth grade reading on the NAEP, Mm. um, then it really was like, oh, what are y'all doing? What Mm -hmm. what happened? You know, how did you go from your being the lowest performing state and states around and surrounding us saying, thank God for Mississippi? Mm-hmm. which was the running joke in 2013. Yes. Yes. So now, yeah. So now <laughs> folks are like, okay, so what are y'all doing over there? Like what's happening? But we took a real sense of urgency type stance and took a real bold stance to say, we are making these changes. Like this is going to happen. Like we have to do this for our communities, for our states, for our, for our state, for our students. Um, and so that's it in a, in a nutshell. So really, it was the data, it the was. data that really made the difference. Mm. If someone would just want to know real quick, we're talking very high level today, but just to get into the weeds a little bit, what would you see that was different in these kindergarten classrooms after the teacher had the instruction and they were, you know, what, what was looking different than compared to previously? Yeah. So we weren't, what, what I saw in a, a lot of these in, in kindergarten was the example with the data that we had, but what I saw in the, a lot of these classrooms, K-3, was um, initially we were using the level text. And then you saw more structure. You saw more explicit instruction. You saw we uh, we created lots of resources at the state level. Um, as coaches, we created a 90 to 100, 120 minute literacy block for these okay. for our schools. And so that was a, one of the non-negotiables. We had a list of non-negotiables that we gave to schools. Um, and that was one of them to have this uninterrupted literacy block. So now you see there's now an uninterrupted time for reading to be taught. That uninterrupted time included um, instruction that was really explicit for teachers within the five components of reading. You saw students and teachers moving from using level text to decodable text in kindergarten. And so then you saw the kindergartners based on our kindergarten readiness assessment enter kindergarten, not necessarily ready, but leaving kindergartner K 
kindergarten as emergent readers. Like they were, they were beyond ready to the point where first grade teachers, you know, you know, you got to beef it up a little bit now Mm -hmm. um, because you're getting these cohorts of kindergartners that are leaving ready. Um, And so one thing I do want to point out that was coupled with our literacy based promotion act was our early learning collaborative act which also put pre-K classrooms in, in some of um, some parts of our state. So it added additional pre-Ks to our state. So these collaboratives, we started off with um, only a few collaboratives and then we moved to having more. So we really started this in pre-K um, and, you know, but kindergarten was a part of our literacy based promotion act. So to see the transition from going in and looking at level text and the shared reading to now seeing very explicit instruction during a uninterrupted block of time, it made a big difference coupled with coaches right there side by side with teachers helping them. Okay. So for people who are looking for more specifics, can you lay out for us what that literacy block might look like in the kindergarten, and the primary grades? Sure. So we actually developed the literacy block based on our professional development training um, at the time, which was letters. And so our science of reading professional development. So we base this on the recommended times for that. So in, you know, our we have a kindergarten block because we have um, kindergarten guidelines, but our first through fifth grade block has time allowed it within it for foundational skills instruction, which means the, the um, phonological awareness is in there, the phonics is in there, um, the fluency instruction is embedded within that block. And then you have the block where, the block of time within that literacy block where we're talking about language comprehension, you know, building the knowledge, using high quality instructional materials um, dur- during that language comprehension block of time. So you have your foundational skills block and you have your language comprehension block. Um, and then within that block, because we started off 90, 90 was the recommended non-negotiable uninterrupted but because there was so much uh, that needed to to be done within that and we wanted to make sure we had small group instruction because now you have a block that has whole group and you need time for small group instruction um, to really remediate and and do some small group things with students that are not um, performing where they need to be and then we added writing instruction because okay. reading and writing should be parallel and go together. And so we also have, um, as a, a part of our state assessment, there is a writing assessment. So we had to get kids and teachers out of their comfort zone with writing every single day. And that mm-hmm. writing needed to be connected to the text to which they were reading. So that block kind of includes a foundational block, a language comprehension, building the background knowledge through read alouds and really quali- high quality, complex text. And then you have your writing portion, you know, um, in small groups. So that's the layout that we have within the, our, our literacy block. Thank you for sharing that. And I'll definitely link to any, any links that you give me that will help people learn more about that. So we've, we've, we talked about the big picture, about how this got started, about how it trickled down to the schools, about um, what some of the day-to-day things look like. So now, if you're willing to share any curriculum recommendations that you might have, I know that that's not where we want to start, but everybody wants to know. So what do, what do you like? <laughs> so 
I'm going to say this because I have to be politically correct a lot of times. Sure, sure. So we have a um, high quality instructional materials uh, initiative happening in our state. So okay. as a state, and I can send you this uh, link to our Mississippi Materials Matter website. As a state, we have um, adopted five. Uh, ELA okay. curricula that we deemed high quality based on our, our rubrics and our rubrics are really closely connected to the ed reports rubrics we work okay. with them to develop our rubrics but one thing that we really did differently because like I told you before we started with building teacher leader knowledge and in Mississippi really focusing on those foundational skills was so important to us so the curricula that's on our list could not make our list, I would say, um, if they didn't pass Gateway One, which we had we we added a very strong criteria on foundational skills in that gateway. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um because that's extremely important for us. So um we only have five on the mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that are there are not others, but we define um our high quality instructional materials as being aligned to our standards, comprehensive externally validated um, and includes engaging and complex text for all of our students. And mm -hmm. so um, those, if I have to, within the five, mm -hmm. I'll have to say um, the districts that have used them started off using them with fidelity, which means learning the program and moving to integrity really fast. They've seen lots of growth. Um, just on their screeners from beginning of year to end of year. Um, so I'm I'm really happy with what we have on our list. Not to say we will have an ad another adoption cycle coming up, which we can add the others that Air Reports deem as high quality on there. But if they didn't if they didn't um, submit, we could not review them. So there are some on there that did not that that are not on there that didn't submit. But we only can review what was submitted. And there were some that did not make our list because um, the criteria and the expectation is high. So is there a link that I can send people to so they can see what you guys have approved? Absolutely. Okay, no. I will send people to that. And and they can also see not only what we approve K-12, they can also see the rubrics and the evidence that we yes. captured um, as we were looking at these curricula. And what's interesting, too, is that, you know, so many people just just want you to give them the curriculum. What's the best one? I understand that question. I understand the urgency there. But like you said, um, if you don't have something to compare it to, like a rubric that says, here's what you really need, and you don't understand the point of all those things, you're not going to know no. what's a good program. And, and Anna, I'll tell you this, too. If you don't understand the science, even the theoretical models, if you don't understand the rope and how reading comprehension is acquired, then you're not going to be able to na because navigate the uh, some of the things within these curricula because I'll have to say this the vendors are trying to appease both sides oh yes the vendors oh, yes. the vendors will dump it all in and we and, and I'm going to tell you something about our Mississippi leaders teachers and coaches we challenge vendors so mm -hmm. if there's something once we get in there that goes against what we stand for um, and what we're trying to do in our state, we call them out. We call them mm -hmm. and say, remove it, take it out. Or 
you're off the list. I mean, yeah. you won't be on the list again. So, I mean, you have to take those types of stances if you're heading in. You can't be afraid to have those types of conversations. But again, you have to understand those the, the rope and how uh, the reading comprehension is acquired to really understand what should and should not be within these curricula. Yeah. So if there's someone out there who's listening to this and thinks, boy, that'd be great. My state's nowhere close to doing this, but I want to start making change in my little space beyond my classroom. What would be some tips you'd give to a teacher who wants to start spreading the word in a way that's hopefully going to bring other people on board? That's a great question. So as a teacher trying to um, get the discussion going in a school building, I would say start with your colleagues that are willing. Um, start with, start with that. I would say, start with those who you can go to and say, Hey, I know we've been doing it this way for a long time. There is something missing, but I'm also willing to shift, uh, my practices in my classroom. And then you come along with me, let's do it together and collect some data and then Mm -hmm. move forward there. So that may be the first step. Um, If you have a supportive administrator, for me, the conversation would be go to your administrators afterward. And I'm a bring all the data type of girls. It would be um, great for a teacher to be able to take some data and say, hey, I know we had these gaps. So I went and tried this and this is a strategy or uh, instructional practice that is aligned to the science. And it worked for my classroom. Could we see about implementing it statewide and you may, I mean, school-wide. So you Mm -hmm. may have to just start with a little small parts or small things. Um, But I would say most definitely start with the data, um, the articles, find schools that may, there are, there's so much information out there right now of schools that have done it well. Um, Mm -hmm. And they start with, you know, just maybe the foundational skills component and that and that. And they started there and they saw the growth there. Take those articles, um, take the data from your class on what you changed, what you went in and decided to change and how it impacted your students. So I would say um, for a teacher that's really trying to spark that conversation, I would say start there. Those would be my two things. So the two words to remember are that data talks. Data and, talks. And for teachers who aren't sure where to even start with that, I would, because I know many schools are using like a balanced literacy assessment, like Fountas and Pinnell's or DRA, I believe is balanced literacy. Mm-hmm. So what they might want to do is check into a Cadence or Dibbles 8. I like a Cadence. I think it's really easy to use. Mm-hmm. It's free for you. Um, if you want to have the part where it actually puts all the data on a chart, I believe you pay for that part of it, but you wouldn't need to do that. If you could, it's pretty, it's very easy to administer once you understand how it works and it doesn't yeah. take long. If you had a, a volunteer come in and work, read to the rest of your class while you're doing that in a separate room I and mean, you can get all the kids done in a few days, do that multiple times in the year. And that will help you. That will give you data and you'll see yeah. how it's working. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that would definitely be the place to start. I think because people can't argue with that. They cannot. They cannot. And if you, you, I mean, if you're trying to go for school-wide change, um, start with your administrator and start with looking at, you know, what does your school look like? Like, what is the proficiency rate Mm -hmm. of students within your building? How does that look? And if you're dealing with students not being proficient with uh, a significant amount of students there, then 
Talk to your administrator about forming a committee and creating a school literacy action plan. We do those action plans in our literacy support schools, and they're really powerful because the first step of the action plan is really looking at um, the landscape of literacy within the school. Like, what is the data telling us? And we have, like you said, they can use their dimples data. Um, if they wanted to use their DRA data, they can use that and triangulate that data with something else. Because that data may tell you that your kid is reading on grade level and then you get something like dibbles and they have all of these gaps. Yes, that's, mm -hmm. that's a really good point because, um, yes, uh, there's the work of Matt Burns. He's done some work on this where he's compared uh, the kids' results on the Founders Pinnell assessment. I think it was Matt Burns, right? Um, the Founders Pinnell assessment compared to the state assessment. And it just showed that the founders panel assessment was about as useful as flipping a coin as for yep. finding out whether kids were going to be successful at readers or had problems. So that's a, a really good point. Like you mm -hmm. want to compare and say, Hey, the, this assessment reasoning says this kid's a good reader, but look at the beginning of the year I mean, look at all the holes they had and then show the growth. So for sure, that's excellent. So it's been 10 years since Mississippi has started a change, right? Where's Mississippi now and what's next? Oh, wow. Um, so we are, so excited to say that we in 2013 we were 49th and in 2022 we're now 21st wow so That's we <laughs> we are we still i always say this we still have our foot on the gas because all of our students are not proficient yet and yep. until we get to that point we hadn't arrived so we're still uh, refining different things. We still keep the same, like you said, we have this system in place and, but we're just refining things where we, with our, um, high quality instructional materials, um, initiative, that's something we've brought on and, and that's fairly new. Um, we also offer, um, layers of our, well, we will be offering layers of our science of reading course. So our okay. leaders, go through layer one, which is the foundational layer of the course where you just really unpack the science. Like you really understand the theoretical models and mm -hmm. what does that mean in your role as a leader and really cut and really create that school literacy action plan. As a teacher, the same thing that PD is provided for you. But the second layer that we're working on for the upcoming year is a structured literacy course. So we'll have that for teachers, an option if they've gone through the first one, a structured literacy course and a writing course okay. uh, for teachers and leaders. So we are trying to be really innovative in our approach to moving things forward. We're, we're always looking at the data and the gaps and where we need additional supports. Um, we've created a coaching academy to get more coaches on the ground because our PD model is our statewide PD, our regional trainings that are created by, by our coaches um, and literacy leaders, but then also coaching. So it's kind of like a, our model is kind of triangulated. We can't leave off coaching. We know that's so essential to the gains that we've seen. Um, so we just, we are just, trying to move and continue the work um, and trying to fill in the gaps where we see things need to um, be tweaked a little bit. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's really, really amazing. I did not know that final number. So that's very exciting. Um, Thank you. And thanks for helping us help. Thanks for helping us get a big picture overview of how this looks at a state level and how a state can make big changes. You're so welcome. Anytime. 
You can find the show notes for this episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 138, including a link to Mississippi's approved curricula. I hope you'll join me for the rest of our Changemaker series, as well as our short Wednesday episodes, which are intended to be practical ways that you can apply the science of reading right away. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.